Thank you, Michael, for that ministry and music, and thank you for returning this evening. Continue our study. We are in the book of Malachi, working through it verse by verse. Tonight we see that there is a direct correlation between faithfulness to God and faithfulness within marriage. And the theme is that God calls his people to faithfulness. Key verse is Malachi 2.16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord. The God of Israel covers the garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Then here is the concluding thought. So guard yourselves and your spirit and do not be faithless. So I'm also going to be talking a little bit about Bible study methods uh, and using this passage to do so. I usually refer to the theme verse as a key verse, there are other words that could be used, but if you uh, think of a, uh, a section of scripture uh, referred to as a pericope, a pericope is the smallest unit of scripture that carries the same theme with it. Uh, often we uh, divide our topics in English into paragraphs. And you know that every paragraph has a theme statement, every paragraph has a topical statement, there's a main idea, and then everything else in that paragraph is to support that main idea. That constitutes the boundary of the paragraph. Well, a pericope is much like a paragraph, it is a unit of scripture that deals with the same subject. Oftentimes, it can be divided up into paragraphs, but not always. And uh, sometimes you'll notice that I observe paragraphs when we work through the scripture, that is paragraphs as they are outlined by various Bibles. Of course, the original wasn't in paragraph form. And uh, if you look at Bibles, they don't always agree as to where the paragraph begins and starts. Uh, but um, basically, uh, they're a pretty good starting point, but I don't always uh, follow the, the paragraphs in the scripture. But the key verse is that which sets forth the main idea of the pericope. And so the main idea is guard yourselves and your spirit and do not be faithless. If you're looking for a pericope, you can begin by looking for that main idea and it usually comes at the beginning of the pericope or the end, uh, most often the beginning, sometimes in the end, less often uh, in the middle or somewhere else. The, the next thing to do is to look for repetitive words. And certainly in this text, it is extremely obvious as to what this text is concerning. For notice how the word faithless appears and appears and appears and appears. Malachi 2.10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Verse 11. 
Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. But you say, why does he not? <clears throat> this has to do with uh, regarding their sacrifices. Why does he not regard their sacrifices? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what has the one God speaking, godly offspring? So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless through the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. So if you look at this text, you could assume that perhaps the main idea is about uh, the wife and her husband and faithfulness within marriage. And you could divide this by verses 14, uh, 15, and 16, but uh, you'd probably actually use 12, 13, 14, 15, or 16. But we put these verses together to show you that the overarching thought is faithlessness in general. And so you shouldn't divide verses 10 through verse 16, for the faithfulness in marriage is contingent upon faithfulness to God. That's the point. There's a, a relationship there that should not be missed. So the pericope is verses 10 through 16. All right, so much for Bible study. Number one, God asserts that there are three grounds by which his people are to be faithful to each other. Three bases. Now, it's important how you word particular um, statements. Um, we could talk about reasons, but the reasons here are specific kinds of reasons. There are other reasons that are going to be given in this passage as to why a person should be faithful. So a more specific statement is not just, these are reasons, these are grounds. These are three relationships that require faithfulness. These are three relationships that are based out of faithfulness. The first is we're to be faithful to one another as siblings. We all have the same father. Malachi 2.10. Have we not all one father? So that all mankind is brothers and sisters. And there is a responsibility that we have to our brother in the most general sense. There are certain responsibilities that we have to all fellow human beings uh, of decency. You may have seen in uh, the newspaper this week that, that <clears throat> a case of young people that were standing by and watching a, a disabled man drown and mocking him as he was drowning. Uh, the question was, were they going to be charged uh, in that death of that disabled man as they watched and mocked him as he drowned. Well, 
The judge decided that they would not be held criminally responsible, but he referred to their behavior as abhorrent. Uh, that is totally disgraceful. That is acting inhumane. That is not acting as a human would act. As human beings, we have responsibility to one another. We are brothers and sisters having one father. Secondly, we're to be faithful to one another as fellow creatures. Has not one God created us? And there the idea is that there is a faithfulness that arises because we are not superior to one another. But rather, because we are all created, we all have a duty to be submissive to one another. God is the creator, and as the creator, he should be worshipped. God is the creator, and as the creator, he is distinct. He is above us. He created us. We have duties of worship and service to God. But we shouldn't be taking uh, our fellow creatures into bondage and servanthood. Uh, if you will remember in your history, when um, the Dred Scott case about slavery, uh, it was determined that blacks were not humans, and rather they were property. Uh, and so a master could do anything with their slave that they so desire. Um, that's not the case. Uh, we are fellow creatures. We are not to have one another in, in bondage in the way in which it was practiced in this country. Just as an aside, I've always uh, kind of been interested in slave law. And uh, one time I uh, took a vacation to visit my uh, sister and uh, family in Louisiana. And as we were uh, viewing one of the plantations, I saw in the bookstore that they had a book on slavery case law in Louisiana. And that's the kind of thing that interests me. So I picked it up and I read it. And I actually found that uh, of all the states in the Union, Louisiana was actually one of the worst states uh, to be a slave as far as the law was concerned. Uh, the law worked against the slave in two particular ways. Uh, as they related to the master, a slave was property. And so a master could do anything with that slave that he so desired. So he did not have any rights as a human being, uh, for he was simply property. Uh, like uh, an animal. But in our culture today, animals have more rights than what slaves did uh, back uh, in the time before the Civil War. But the interesting flip side of that was the uh, natural, logical outcome of that is that if they are property and not humans, then you couldn't hold them accountable for their behavior. But as it came to relating to the master, they were humans. So if they would kill their master 
or rise up in rebellion against their master, they could be treated as a human and be convicted and uh, be sentenced to murder. So their humanity worked for them or against them uh, in every instance. It always worked against them. Sometimes viewed not as human, sometimes viewed as human. But the point here is there is a responsibility that we have as all being of one father, and now the imagery changes from a father to a creator. And we all are under one creator, all of us having been created, and therefore we are created equal. As in the preamble, preamble, uh, preamble to our documents that uh, we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. The idea of we all share the same rights having been created. The third is that we are to be faithful to one another as fellow participants in God's covenant. Having we not all one father, has not one God created us, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So here's the third reason. As being fellow participants in God's covenant. Now not everyone is a member of the covenant. So this is a unique responsibility, this is a unique duty, this is a unique obligation. And it is this third reason that is stressed in the particular portion of Malachi. So the first two are just alluded to, but the third is developed. Number two, however, God's people have been unfaithful to God in their covenantal relationship to him. So here is the outflowing of this argument. God's people have been unfaithful to God in their covenant dealings. Therefore, they are unfaithful to each other in their covenant dealings. The (coughs) supposition is, if you're going to be faithful to God in your covenant dealings, then you're going to be faithful to one another in your covenant dealings. So it's really all about God and faithfulness to him and secondarily, faithfulness to one another. So let's unpack it. Number two, however, God's people have been unfaithful to God in their covenant relationship to him. Judah has been unfaithful to God. Judah has been faithless. And the way in which Judah has been faithless is Judah's decided to be married to another God rather than Jehovah. Judah's been faithless. And abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. In the Old Testament, uh, Israel is pictured as the wife of God. Uh, Many passages, I just chose one, Jeremiah 31, 32. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them of the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So uh, God entered into a covenantal relationship with, with Israel in which there was a relationship that could be likened unto a relationship that existed between a husband and wife. God was to be uh, faithful to Israel in providing for her and caring for her, etc. And Israel was to be faithful to God in revering him 
and submitting to him. But Israel was unfaithful to God, Jeremiah 3.20. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so you've been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Uh, so here is this unfaithfulness, and it is condemned. See, this will result in a future generation having no relationship to God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this. Now that is further unpacked. There's these layers of onions. Now why is the person going to be cut off? Why are the future generations going to suffer? Well, number three, God is upset with his people for failing to be faithful to their wives. God was upset with his people, verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So God is displeased with their offerings. This is the second thing. The first thing we saw a couple of weeks ago in the offerings that they offered, they were inappropriate. They offered uh, mangy animals. They offered uh, sacrifices that required uh, no sacrifice on their own part. Uh, they did not appreciate what God had done. The priests uh, sniffed and snorted at these sacrifices. God said, it'd be better that you close the doors. Okay, so their sacrifices were unacceptable. Now here's the second reason that God is upset. And that is because of the people's unfaithfulness. B, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. So not only have they been faithless to God, but they've been faithful to their spouse. God has brought the husband and wife together in marital union. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? In Genesis 2, 24, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Uh, that has always been a, a very interesting verse to me for it's talking about Adam and Eve. And of course, as you know the story of Adam and Eve, they have no father and no mother. But that is the first union that is established. That is the first covenantal relationship of husband and wife in the scriptures. And out of that relationship, there is to be no higher commitment among human beings than a commitment of husband and wife. The only greater commitment that exists is the commitment that we have to God. But of all the responsibilities and duties, the greatest is the husband to wife, wife to husband. It's even greater than parent to child and child to parent. It is the most significant relationship but they have been faithless to it. Now, I actually turned this around and said that God calls us to faithfulness. If I were to be precise, he doesn't call us to faithfulness, he calls us 
to guard against being faithless. And there is a slight difference. We need not only to be faithful, but we need to be on guard of being unfaithful. The warning here is that there is a tendency to becoming unfaithful. There is a danger that all of us need to be aware of and sensitive to. That even if we are faithful today, it doesn't guarantee we're going to be faithful tomorrow. And so, no matter how long we're married, no matter how good our relationship is, no matter how committed we are, we still need to be on guard, and we're going to see why in just a moment. But we, we need to be guarding ourselves. This idea of faithless is a word that is uh, full of significant meaning. Uh, for it arises, of course, from the word faith. Faith. And the idea is that, that our faith, which is our belief and our commitment to God, is to be manifested in all of our relationships and certainly in our relationship with our spouse. That our faith should be evidenced. Our faith should be real. Our faith should be practical. Our faith should be lived out. Our commitments ought to be not only in name, but in practice. So we get to the New Testament, and uh, we read, such as in the book of Timothy, how that people who are unfaithful to their parents are worse than an infidel, uh, that, that they are worse than non-believers. For oftentimes we find non-believers who are faithful to their parents. Well, so too we find that many times that Christians are worse than non-believers when it comes to fulfilling their commitments. Um, certainly, uh, all of the statistics today say that there is virtually no difference between those that profess faith in Christ and those that do not. There appears to be no difference in morality between those who name the name of Christ and those who do not have any practical faith or religion. The divorce rates are about the same. The living together before marriage is about the same. The, the, the cultural behaviors of a non-believing world are virtually the same as among those that are professing Christians. Well, certainly that could be said of Malachi's day. And that is the issue that, that God is addressing, this lack of faithfulness, or to be faithless, uh, to be acting as non-believers. Uh, then we have this section about uh, being of one flesh, and uh, I'm going to skip over that for the moment and go on to D. God's purpose in marriage 
is that godly children would be raised up. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Answer godly offspring. Okay. I hear people say and, and debate, example, over uh, people living together. Uh, people will make marriage very trite and say, you know, it's only a piece of paper. Uh, what, what does that matter? Uh, what does it matter if you're married or not? Uh, God looks at uh, people and, and uh, says, well, um, they're married in God's sight. And um, now I'm winging it, so I need to open my Bible here and uh, turn to the woman at the well. Are we at, that's John 4, I think, I hope. Yes. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn. If not, you can just listen. And when he, he comes to the woman at the well, he's talking with her. And it says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy food. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, who am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From where hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. Down to verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I may thirst, neither come here to draw. Now here's the point. Verse 15. Verse 16. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. So even in that relationship, God, Jesus made a distinction. She had five husbands, and now the person that she is living with is not her husband. So Jesus made a distinction between people who are living together, and people who are formally married, even when there have been numerous marriages. There is still a distinction in the scriptures. So marriage indeed is important. And we can talk about a lot of reasons why it's important, but in our text, it says that the reason that it is important is because God is seeking godly offspring. God is seeking another generation that will worship and serve him. And divorce is counterproductive to that end. Divorce is counterproductive to another generation 
worshiping and serving God. There are great spiritual consequences for the children. I think that's important to say. In our day and age, people will often think that the children are better off if the parents have been divorced, but it's hard to support from the scripture. E, therefore, God calls his people to watch over their spirit. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly, godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. This is a call to all. So guard yourselves in your spirit. That is a statement, carte blanche, to every person who is married. Guard your spirit. The second is a call to be applied individually. Uh, and let none of you be faithless to, faithless to the wife of your youth. So the one is a general call, and the other is a specific application. Generally, everyone should be faith, uh, faithful, and specifically, you and I are to be faithful to uh, our spouses. So what does it mean to watch over one's spirit? Uh, well, in Deuteronomy 4, 9, it says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that you, your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So lest you forget, lest they depart from your heart. So the way that we guard our spirit is to keep our eye on the ball, to not become distracted, not to let other things enter into our thinking or practice that undermine our commitment or our faithfulness. And in our present day, as I said, our culture is one of those things. Uh, our culture does not reinforce Christian values. And if you're not careful, it's easy to get caught up with the same mentality that you run into with people at work or people at college or people in school or your next door neighbor. It's very easy to start acting and behaving like the majority of the people around you, to begin to look at them rather than to look at the scriptures. It's also easy to forget about what the Bible says. It's easy to forget the instruction, the teaching. But what happens when you forget? Well, notice what happens. Uh, the end of Deuteronomy 4 9, make them known to your children and your children's children. Uh, it's hard to talk about being faithful uh, to your children when you yourself are being unfaithful. It's hard to talk to your children about guarding their hearts when you're not guarding your own heart. It's hard to create within your, your children a love for God when you've lost a love for God. It's hard to express to your children the, the joys of walking in accordance with God's word when you're walking in discord with God's word. Uh, it is counterproductive. It isn't helpful. To be a good role model is helpful. To be a poor role model 
undermines what is happening. And then we can go on and talk about all the other practical stuff that often happens, and that is that people begin to be less faithful coming to church. If they're not coming to church, they're, they're not bringing their kids to church, and on and on and on it goes. Uh, bottom line, divorce is counterproductive to the spiritual well-being of the children. <clears throat> F, God expresses a strong aversion to divorce. Here there is a translation issue. Most translations read that God hates divorce. King James, the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hates putting away, which is a synonym for divorce. New American Standard 95 edition. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. The 84 edition of the NIV. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. The new, new international version, that is the one that has been recently published, says the man who hates and divorces his wife. And so no longer is it translated that God hates it, but it makes hating synonymous with divorcing. So it says the man who hates and divorces his wife. The, EV, the, the ESV substitutes does not love for hate. Malachi 2.16, for the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord. I'm not going to go into a huge discussion of the Hebrew, since there's only a couple of people here that uh, know the Hebrew. So I'm simply going to say that the text is clear. It's talking about God's hatred of divorce. And uh, I really think that these other translations are accommodations uh, to uh, our culture, our society. I hate to say that. I think the ESV is a, is a wonderful translation in general. But uh, in some ways, it's, it's hard to understand why they translate it that way. I, I suppose you could make some grammatical arguments. But, um, and in fairness, there are other places in the scripture which talks about a man hating his wife and divorcing her. Uh, so it's not unique, it's just not what's in this passage. This passage is all about God and his relationship to his people. And like it or not, the word of God says God hates divorce. And uh, not sugarcoating it, <laughs> not making it less than what it is, that's just simply what, what it says. Um, moving on. G, in addition, the man who divorces his wife brings harm to himself and his wife. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. <coughs> uh, the NAS, and him who covers his garment with wrong. Uh, King James, for the one covered violence with his garment. The idea here is that, that you are bringing a world of problem on yourself. That people view divorce as a means of escape. That if they get divorced, then life is going to be so much better. This, this, this marriage is just so terrible that if I can just get out of this, then I can be happy. Then I can be free, and then I can... But people have a tendency to 
look at freedom with rosy covered colored glasses and they have a failure, uh, 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 they have an, uh, an unreasonable view of the past in which they see themselves as being absolutely miserable. I've dealt with too many people, but there are some commonalities that I have seen. And one of them is it's not unusual for people to say, I never loved this person. I didn't love them when I married them. I've never loved this person. We've never been happy. We've always had problems. And I submit to you that, that that's a really, uh, trying to think of the right word. It is, Almost a blind, it's, 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 uh, it's a really skewed way of looking at the past. You know, people don't marry people they don't love. People don't marry people that they uh, aren't infatuated with. People don't spend years together in absolute misery. There have been good times. There have been good situations. But people have a tendency to only see the bad about the past and only see the good about the divorce. Life will be so great if I'm divorced and life couldn't be more miserable than it is now. And the scripture simply says that you bring upon yourself a world of harm. You bring incredible amounts of complication. And there are duties and responsibilities. This is all about duties and responsibilities. It's about being faithful. And our government, our society, our secular world understands that there are commitments that are made in marriage that continue on even if that uh, marriage is dissolved. Even if that marriage is legally dissolved. There is a recognition that there are ongoing responsibilities that parents have for their children. They come down to custody issues. They come down to visitation issues. They come down to child support issues that continue on whether or not, whether or not you are still in that marriage. They continue on even if you are divorced. You are not free from those duties and obligations. And they only compound and make it more difficult if you marry again and have other children and relating, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but people don't have a tendency to look objectively at the consequences of their actions. H, so the ones, again, there's a call to guard one's spirit and to be faithful to God and one's spouse. For the man who does not love his Wife, but divorces her, says the Lord of God. Covers the garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So conclusion. A, marriage is a covenant established by God. B, the marital covenant has commitments associated with it. C, the marital com commitments are to be fulfilled. D, the marital commitments are to be fulfilled out of faithfulness to God. 
the marriage vows are vows that ultimately are not, married, uh, are not made to each other, but to God. Uh, I had someone ask me one time, uh, when uh, people are giving their vows, why don't you have them face the congregation so everybody can see them and, and better hear their vows? Answer, because the vows aren't being made to the congregation. The vows are being made to God. They are up here. They are sacred. They are commitments that we are making to God as to how we are going to relate to one another. <clears throat> That's why at the end of the ceremony, the traditional ending is, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. That God has brought these two people together in marital union. And the bringing together is not the sexual act. The bringing together is the covenant. The bringing together is the spirit. The bringing together is these words of vows that God then establishes them as one. And that is why the book of Timothy says that the marriage bed is undefiled. It isn't that the marriage bed makes two people one. It's that when two people who are one come to the marital bed, it's all appropriate and it's all pleasing to God. It's the right expression of one's commitment to God. E, the marital commitments are to be kept for the spiritual well-being of the children. And I would say, if you say, well, we have no children. Well, that may be, but other people do. And other people's children learn from, and we're just contributing to the general society that we have around about us so that it's important that us as Christians conduct ourselves in a way in which we are being example not only for our children, but for other people's children as well. Uh, if I were to divorce my wife, it would, even though my children are grown, I think it would throw my grown children for a loop. I don't think they would know what to do with that. If I were to divorce my wife, not only would it throw my grown children for a loop, I don't think they would go off into apostasy, I, I think it would create great doubts, but I think it'd be real tough for the grandchildren to understand and to appropriate. And what I'm saying to you is, it, and it would be a mess for you to explain to your children. It would make it hard for you. And sitting down and instructing your children and they say, well, Pastor Reed got a divorce. Not good. It's not helpful. It doesn't promote what God wants. F, the marital commitments are to be kept avoiding harm to one's spouse and to oneself. And the last, and I can't believe that I didn't write it down here, but I didn't, so let me give it to you. Six, the marital commitments are to be kept 
to the glory of God. This is the way in which God is best glorified uh, in and through us, and that is our commitments to one another are kept out of our commitment to God. As God's people, we're to be different. But that difference isn't to be some Looney Tune kind of difference. That difference isn't to be some strange kind of difference that, you know, our clothes are a different color than everybody else's or that we wear a hat that's different than everybody else wears. The difference that is to exist among God's people is that we are counter to our culture. We are counter to an unbelieving world. It is to our shame that the statistics in Christianity in general, I'm not talking about our local church, I'm talking about in general, that the morality that exists among professing Christians is virtually the same as non-professing Christians. God is not glorified in that. The best way that we can be distinct is being our living lives that are consecrated to the glory of God um, and being satisfied, as the word of God says, with the wife of our youth. And that's another distraction as we grow older and as we look at younger people. And we can go on and on with these kinds of things. But uh, let us guard our hearts that uh, even if we have been faithful and even if we have a wonderful marriage, let's protect it. And let's see it through to death to us part. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, help us to be faithful to you and be faithful to our spouses. Uh, Lord, uh, heart, help us to guard our spirits, uh, for there is so much that is so counterproductive. There is so much that goes against your word. There is so much that really destroys uh, what uh, we would want to achieve. Uh, so, Lord, guard us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And let me just give an aside, because I, I, I feel like you have to say these things. Um, at the same time, divorce can be forgiven. And if somebody is here and they're divorced, the, the point is not trying to beat you up. Uh, the, the point is uh, there is mercy and there's grace with God. But at the same time, for those who aren't divorced, and that's who I'm talking to tonight. Uh, if you're not divorced, don't. Guard your heart. Guard, guard your marriage. Uh, yes, God is merciful, but guard your marriage. Thank you. You're dismissed.